Can a Jew and a non-Jew marry? How about two men? Two women? Today, we're talking about interfaith and same-sex marriages, two of the most controversial topics in American Judaism today. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians. Welcome to Torah for Christians. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr. With over half of non-Orthodox Jews choosing to marry a person not originally Jewish, the question of interfaith marriage looms large in modern American Judaism. Yes, you heard that right. Over half of all non-Orthodox Jews are marrying out of the faith. Let's break down the discussion we need to first review a topic that we spoke of in our very first podcast, Who is a Jew? In the Torah, a Hebrew or Israelite is one born of a Jewish father. Moses, David, Solomon, and many others, as we discussed in that podcast, all married non-Israelite women. And most important, the Torah does not condemn them for it. The book of Kings, for example, condemns King Ahab for marrying Jezebel, but that was due to Jezebel's infamous character as a wicked idolatress and that she was a Canaanite whom the Israelites were commanded not to marry. That is the exception to the rule. It is not until Israel returns from Babylonian exile that there is a change. In the book of Nehemiah, as we discussed, Ezra reads the law to the people. Ezra then exhorts the Israelite men to, quote, put away their non-Jewish wives and children. At this point in history, the answer to the question of who is a Jew changes. Now, a Jew is defined as one born to a Jewish mother. But in addition to this change, Ezra enacted a second major change when he told the Jewish men to divorce their non-Jewish wives. Simply put, Ezra outlawed marriages between Jews and non-Jews. The ban on interfaith marriages has stood for over two millennia. This ban has been universal and without debate, frankly, until the last decades of the 20th century. To be fair, there was a clear reason for Jews not marrying Christians. From the time that Constantine accepted Jesus on the Milvian Bridge until the modern era, for a Jew to marry a Christian, he or she would have to first convert to Christianity. Converting out of the faith was seen historically as a death in the family. Of course, there have always been Jews who marry out of the faith. Even in medieval and early modern times, we know of many people who had Jewish ancestry but were not Jewish themselves due to a father or perhaps a grandfather marrying a Christian woman and leaving the faith. Many prominent Sephardi families in colonial America, for example, are still around today, but they are not Jewish anymore due to intermarriage and out-conversion. 
Why do more than half of non-Orthodox Jews marry out of the faith? One factor is education. When young Jewish men and later young Jewish women began to leave the cloistered Jewish neighborhoods of major cities to attend college, they came in contact, often for the first time, with the larger Christian community. Boys would meet girls, and well, life happens. We also know that as more and more Jews earned advanced degrees, becoming doctors, dentists, lawyers, and the like, the incidence of interfaith marriage increased. A second reason for interfaith marriage is the decline of the so-called Jewish neighborhood. Growing up, I went to public schools that were majority Jewish. We even closed on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and the first day of Passover. Except for certain areas in places such as New York City, Philadelphia, and others, these Jewish neighborhoods do not exist anymore. Jews mainly live amongst non-Jews for the first time in American history. So, our kids go to school in multi-ethnic, multi-racial environments where we preach acceptance of all. As the Jewish kids increasingly make non-Jewish friends, it is inevitable that some of these kids will marry a non-Jew in the future. Finally, we are into the second and perhaps the third generation of widespread interfaith marriage. The children of interfaith couples who are overwhelmingly raised as Jews if they are raised in a faith at all, see no stigma in marrying a non-Jew. After all, that's what their parents did. A few of these kids have even become rabbis, further continuing this trend towards acceptance of interfaith marriage. After all, why would rabbis raised in an interfaith family not perform interfaith marriages? So, how do Jews talk about interfaith marriage? A generation ago, interfaith marriage as we have seen was considered a tragedy. Sometimes the young Jewish adult who married a non-Jew was cut off from his or her family. Some parents even observed Jewish mourning rituals when this happened. This does not happen anymore, which is good. As a kid, I could count on my rabbi preaching about the evils of intermarriage at least twice a year. Today, no reform, conservative, or reconstructionist rabbi dares speak about interfaith marriage in this way from the pulpit, no matter his or her personal beliefs. It's too toxic. In sum, the preponderance of interfaith marriage has made such diatribes moot. Interfaith marriage exists and the American Jewish leadership can do nothing to change this. Should rabbis officiate at interfaith marriage ceremonies? And what should these ceremonies look like? Let's take the second question first. As we learned in our podcast about Jewish marriage, Jews are married according to the faith of Moses and Israel. When one of the partners is not Jewish, that statement cannot apply. We must modify it. Many people substitute a verse from Song of Songs, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. It's a beautiful verse and not really religion specific. 
We also cannot use the Sheva Brachot, the seven blessings in their original form. Frankly, does Jerusalem rejoice at an interfaith marriage? Did God put half of a soul in a Jew and the other half in a Christian? It's an open question with no answer. Should the groom break a glass? Again, an open question. Should a rabbi officiate at an interfaith marriage? Obviously, no Orthodox rabbi will officiate, nor will a conservative rabbi. Among Reform and Reconstructionist rabbis, officiation is quite controversial. As early as 1909, the Reform rabbis issued a statement that, quote, mixed marriage is contrary to the Jewish tradition and should be discouraged. That position was echoed in official statements in 1973 and 1982. The official position has not changed, not even today. What has changed is that Reform rabbis especially, who have always been given the choice to officiate or not, have increasingly chosen to officiate at interfaith marriages. Much of this is generational for the reasons we discussed earlier. But just as important, these rabbis see interfaith marriage as a way to bring Jews back into Jewish life and perhaps motivate the non-Jewish partner to at least be active in the synagogue, if not outright convert. And of course, it is our desire that the children of these marriages be raised as Jews. Those who do not officiate refuse due to personal integrity and belief and because they feel that their refusal will encourage conversion and maintain ancient Jewish standards. There is no returning from interfaith marriage in American Judaism. Outside of Israel, Jews worldwide face the same challenges. But there is another challenge facing Judaism today, the question of same-sex marriage. We'll talk about this after the break. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians. Welcome back to Torah for Christians. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr. Before we discuss same-sex marriage, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Please remember to review and rate this episode on Apple, Spotify, or whatever service you are using. Also, please go back and listen to previous episodes if you have not done so already. We have covered a lot of material so far, and I look forward to what is to come. We come now, though, to the question of same-sex marriage. Today, same-sex marriage in the United States enjoys the same legal protections as those between a man and a woman. Since 2013, the official position of the Reform Rabbinate is to support rabbis who officiate at same-sex marriages. Many, if not most, Reform, and now even some conservative rabbis, choose to officiate at same-sex unions. The second part of the question is more complex. Can a same-sex marriage be considered kiddushin, a proper, halachic, holy, legal, Jewish marriage? In the liberal traditions, the answer is yes. 
According to the Mishnah I referenced in our episode about Jewish marriage, a woman may be acquired in one of three ways, through an exchange of money or its equivalent, such as a ring, through a document, such as a ketubah, or through sexual union. Today, that last method, through sexual union alone, has fallen away. Certainly, two men or two women can exchange rings and therefore fulfill one of the three ways that two people can marry. While this does not satisfy the traditional Jewish definition of marriage, it does satisfy more liberal Jewish thought if the following three conditions are met. Number one, the commitment of two Jews to establish a Jewish home together. Number two, their commitment to support and nurture one another physically, financially, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. And number three, their commitment, should their union be blessed with children, to raise those children together as Jews. In the case of two men, this would occur through adoption or surrogacy. In the case of two women, either through adoption, surrogacy, or if one of the partners becomes pregnant and bears a child. And it's worth it to say that these three criteria are often the reasons why a reform rabbi would go ahead and perform an interfaith marriage as well. Finally, we bring halakha, Jewish law, back into the discussion when we remember the Talmudic precept, and I quote, so great is the requirement of human dignity that it supersedes a negative commandment of the Torah. This is quite a statement, and it means that same-sex couples must be afforded the same dignity, rights, and responsibilities as heterosexual couples. The application of this principle counters the assertion made by many that Leviticus 20, verse 13, forbids same-sex marriage. There, it states that if a man lies with a man as he lies with a woman, both shall be put to death. If recognizing the human dignity of the LGBTQ plus community is paramount, then this law cannot apply. This is, of course, controversial, and many of our listeners will not agree with this position. Orthodox and Hasidic Jews will not agree either. But as I stated when we spoke about abortion, I am simply stating the position of my movement. You can decide for yourself if you agree with it. To summarize both topics that we have discussed, the increasing numbers of interfaith marriages has led to agreement amongst the streams that we must find ways to include these couples and their children in organized Jewish life. Rabbinic officiation, the status of the children, and the participation of the non-Jewish partner in synagogue life are all under discussion. Regarding same-sex marriage, this is an evolving area of Jewish thought, especially since all streams were opposed to such unions as late as 1996. Again, we must examine the questions of rabbinic officiation, procreation, creating meaningful rituals, and especially acceptance within the larger Jewish community. There is no agreement on any of these topics in the larger Jewish world. We will just have to see what develops and advocate for our personal positions. I want to thank you for listening to Torah for Christians. 
please remember to rate and review this and previous episodes on Apple, Spotify, or other streaming services. You can also like us on Facebook. Next week, we will discuss what happens when a Jewish couple decides to divorce. It's a complicated story, but we'll dive right in on the next episode. Have a wonderful week, and remember, Behold, how good and how wonderful it is for us to dwell together as one. Till we meet again, I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians. Mm-hmm.